0: Let me speak in the name of God, the lover, the beloved, and the love-sharer. Amen. Have you ever wondered why John's Gospel is so different to the other three Gospels? You'll find that in Mark and Matthew and Luke they follow a similar pattern, although they're not identical. And the pattern is dictated by the kind of view of the chronological events that comprise the three years of Jesus' ministry. And John is not interested in chronological events because John is building a theology of Jesus' ministry. So John is focusing on the inside meaning of this ministry and not on the external event. And John builds his theology around a series of stories that we know as the signs of the kingdom. And there are seven of them. And they're all well known to us. The wedding at Cana. We heard two weeks ago about the clandestine visit of Nicodemus under cover of darkness. Last week, the woman at the well. Today, the man, the healing of the man blind from birth. Next week, we're going to look at Mary and Martha and the raising of Lazarus. These powerful, multi-layered stories in John. Are then accompanied by Jesus's interpretation and a long teaching to his disciples and so today we have this wonderful story which is incredibly long I have every sympathy for the deacon who has to stand there holding the book trying to read their way through this long story that is just crammed full of detail. And I think the only way to understand these stories, these signs of the kingdom, is to use the metaphor of a play. They are plays in several acts. And today's story, the play, is in four acts. In Act 1, the curtain goes up and we see Jesus and the disciples walking along. And the disciples see a man who's blind from birth. It's very important, this phrase, a man blind from birth. Not just any old blind man, but a man blind from birth. Because it then enables the disciples to ask the question, Rabbi, whose sin? caused this man's blindness his own or because he's blind from birth the implication might be that it is the sin of his parents and Jesus flatly disagrees with the assumption that they are making that there is a connection between misfortune and sin And instead he talks about this as being an opportunity for God to show something important about who God is. And so as the act draws to a close, Jesus and the disciples exit stage right, leaving the man center stage, who in act two is joined By those who know him his acquaintances his neighbors and they're very confused because they can't work out what has happened how can this be and their only solution to their conundrum is to suggest that this is not the same man that they knew who had been blind from birth. This is a different man. And he protests vehemently. He says, no, I am the same man who was born blind. But the man Jesus put mud on my eyes and told me to wash, and I can now see. Well, this is way, way too much for the onlookers. And so as we do in life when the problems too big for us to deal with we push it upstairs and so they trace off to ask the Pharisees about what is happening here and the Pharisees are the religious scholars so of course they will know what the answer is but the Pharisees are confounded as well and they set to doing what Pharisees love to do. They set to argue with each other. And eventually they separate into two groups. And the first group says, this can't be a healing. This man can't be a healer because he's clearly not of God because it happened on the Sabbath day. And God does not heal on the Sabbath day. We know that because it's in the law of Moses. The other group of Pharisees who tended to be a bit more pragmatic uh, contend, well, but look, the man was blind and he now sees. Something has happened, Sabbath or no Sabbath. And so they set about to ask the man, to repeat the questions that his neighbors and acquaintances had put to him, Are you the same man how can that be you can't be the same man and he says but I am and so uh, to get more verification they summon the man's parents this puts the parents in a very difficult position because they're not going to give the Pharisees an answer that the Pharisees don't want to hear and so they avoid the issue they sidestep it and they say look he's of age He can speak for himself. And the man says, all I know is, I was blind. And the man Jesus healed me. And I can now see. And in this uh, third act of the play, we see a subtle movement taking place. The Pharisees argue among themselves and come up with two possibilities. Then they turn on the man and question his identity. And then they appeal to his parents. Is this true? And finally, they confront the man who says, I don't know what happened. All I know is this. And as the man sits under the interrogation of these forbidding and intimidating scholars, something's beginning to shift in him. And finally he says, I don't know anything about this, but can it be? That I could have been healed other than by a man of God. And this is way too much for the Pharisees. And so they kick him out. And Act 4 opens with the man center stage. And coming in from stage left is Jesus, who comes up to the man and says, Who healed you? And the man says, It's the man Jesus, but I don't know where he is. Because remember, the last point of contact between Jesus and the man was when the man was still blind. And Jesus says, I am he. And the man says, my Lord, my God, and worships him. And this is the point to which John's story has been all the time leading. The acknowledgement of who Jesus really is. Act 4 ends with Jesus doing a little bit of Pharisee baiting. Because they're coming back on stage and they're muttering and complaining and casting aspersions. And Jesus says, if you were truly blind, then you're not responsible for what you can't see. But you claim to be able to see. And yet you are blinded. To what you can see. And therefore you are responsible for that. And there is a rephrasing of the disciples initial question. About the relationship between sin. And responsibility. And so like all biblical texts, and especially John's texts. We hear them being echoed in three separate contexts. The first context is the encounter between Jesus and the man blind from birth. And here we see Jesus doing what Jesus always does. He challenges the way religion is used as a mask for the hardness of the human heart. And then we hear the echo of John's recounting of this story, which is at least 60 years later. And we hear in John's recounting of the story the echoes of the issues of his own community. You see, John's community in Jerusalem is living at a time after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So John's writing may be about 90 to 100. And his community has been excommunicated by the regrouped Judaism of the rabbis centered on the synagogue and the Christians if they declare that Christ is the Messiah are kicked out of the synagogues and so John's community is attacked from without but it's also got multiple divisions from within And we hear that being echoed with the arrival of the man's parents before the Pharisees. They're not going to say Jesus is the Lord because they will be excommunicated. And so in John's community, there were those who wanted to proclaim Christ as the Messiah, regardless of consequences. But there were those who still wanted to follow Christ in secret for fear of being rejected from the synagogues. And the third context is, here we are, 2014. We receive this text. And we receive this text in a cultural context of rapid change and uncertainty. The church that we have known, we see it passing away before our very eyes, and we are not sure what is coming To take its place and we are filled with considerable anxiety and so we receive this text and we notice that we are not so different from the disciples because we're Episcopalians we don't appeal to sin as an explanation for misfortune. At least we've moved a little bit beyond that. But we're still doing what the disciples were doing. I remember that my first degree was a law degree, and I was trained in the tradition of the English common law, which is actually still the foundation of most of the Legal systems in the states in this country, though not all. And English common law works on the basis of precedent. And precedent is where a previous decision in a court of equal or superior authority is used to decide the issues in a current case. And what lawyers do is um, they use a device called distinguishing if they want to argue that the precedent does not apply in this case. They find uh, facts that hopefully will convince the judge that this is a very different situation and therefore he's free to decide the case differently. this is what the disciples are doing because precedent and distinguishing are legal devices but they reflect something deep in the human psyche the need to distance ourselves from our fears there but for the grace of God go I and so when we distance ourselves, we look at other people. And while we may not ascribe them as fortune to sin, we certainly will say, "Well, of course it's terrible what's happened to so-and-so, isn't it?" But of course, you know, they're so careless. They're so negligent. You know, it's really their fault we're distinguishing and the function of that distinguishing is to say well it's terrible what's happened to so-and-so but of course that's not going to happen to me I'm not careless I'm not negligent the disciples were trying to protect themselves from the fear that maybe they could be blind too but if it's the result of the man's sin then they're, they're protected And the church and religion generally is really good at validating our attempts to scapegoat others whose views or whose misfortune in life disturb us. And religion becomes the mask for the hardness of the human heart. And all the conflict situations that Jesus gets into in the Gospels are all situations where he is confronting religious functioning to mask the hardness of the human heart. And so the themes for us this morning as we receive this text, there's the theme about needing to distance ourselves from the unpredictability and the gratuitousness of life events. But there's another theme here, which is the movement from blindness to sight to insight. Insight is spiritual sight. And we see the man born blind moving through these stages. At first it's just, I can see. But he doesn't stay there. He ends up with my Lord and my God. And there are three questions that I think that we need to consider as we receive this text this morning. To what do we remain blinded? In seeking the answer to that question, we need to look at what are we most afraid of? And what does that fear do to us? How do we hide from that fear? The second question is... Have we the courage to allow our eyes to be opened? Or do we want to continue to hide in blindness? And if our eyes are opened, will we risk moving from sight to insight? from physical sight to spiritual sight. And as the man born blind moves into insight, he's invited into a new experience of life. What is this new experience of life that we are being invited into? Well, if we were to go on and read chapter 10, following this particular passage today, we would see Jesus using another set of metaphors. The shepherd, the sheepfold, and the sheep. Echoed in our 23rd Psalm this morning. The experience of new life. is to be like the sheep who can tell the difference between the voice of the imposter and the voice of the shepherd. And they follow the voice of the shepherd because they trust him. Because they know that he loves them. The point of opening our eyes is to discover that the voice of Christ is trustworthy because God loves us. And although the chances and changes of life, the unpredictability and gratuitousness of misfortune, Although we can control none of that. We don't have to hide from it either. Because we know that whatever life throws at us, we are loved by God. And we are changed by that love. And we hear the voice of Jesus. And we trust that voice. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. There can be no better insurance policy than that. Amen.